John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 887.LV2525, certificate number 2504. Jesse Owens, gold medals of. After the fanfares of the Olympic opening comes the most amazing performance by America's black streak Jesse Owens in the 100 meters. The world's most superb runner makes the others look as if they're walking as he wins the final and equals the world's record time. This and his later victory in the long jump may well be the athletic performances of the century. I like this new uh, sort of card catalog way of coming up with omnibus entries. Right. We should do it more. More commas. Gold That's medals what, uh, of. We did a listener survey, and it turned out what people wanted was more commas in the episode titles. Here, here. But no colons. Oh, so, fu- so tired of colons. No, I do not want a colon in an episode title. Two days ago uh, in uh, the omnibus entry, The Hero of Camperdown, we talked about the... A silver medal that was awarded to... Jack Crawford, naval hero. Jack Crawford, naval hero, that he ended up pawning uh, because he was living as a somewhat, not destitute, but... Down uh, on his luck. Down on his luck. Working man in the north of England. Pawned it seven times. Pawned it seven times and retrieved it seven times, which... Or at least six. Or at least six. <laughs> pretty, pretty incredible record. But it inspired uh, a, a recollection that I had about Jesse Owens, uh, American hero and victor in the 1936 Berlin Olympics, shamer of Hitler. Beat Hitler, faster than Hitler. Beat Hitler at the 100 meters. <laughs> faster than Hitler, really like uh, like uh, like a like truly an American champion. So Jesse Owens ended up losing control of his uh, four gold medals that he won in the 1936 Olympics. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Have you, uh, have you considered... Have I ever won four gold medals at the Summer Olympics? Have you ever considered selling your goat trophy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to... Maybe I shouldn't give a heads up to any cat burglars out there listening... But the GOAT trophy, I am told, is 24 karat gold. Is that right? That's not solid. No, Plated. No. I mean, it's a, it's a cheap hollow trophy body, for one thing. Sure, I've carried that thing all over town. I know how much it weighs. But apparently, the, the uh, metallic material is at least gold-plated. Is there a collector's market, do you know, for Jeopardy memorabilia? I would say no, just because there's almost total lack of such you don't get a certificate or a little coin or no, anything? No, I asked after after that greatest of all time tournament, they handed me the trophy and I hoisted it. And then we had a second to take some pictures and I turned to Brad and I said, where do you put all your hardware? Because, you know, Brad Redder's won four or five of these Jeopardy Super tournaments. Right. And he was like, I don't have anything. They never have a, they never had a trophy until now. I have one oversized check. Not not even a not even a little medal or something. No, huh? I think the college tournament has a has a trophy, but I don't know what kind of secondary market there is. I know for the Academy Awards, the Academy claims that they still own the statuette and are right. you know giving it to the recipient on some kind of a lease or grant basis, which I guess gives them legal protection to step in if you recipients can't just take one down to a pawn shop right. and pawn. If your recipients Oscar. try to pawn or sell an Oscar on the collectibles collector's market the academy wants to be able to step in well the same is not true of olympic medals and nobel prizes these medals are um 
Well, you know, the Olympic medal until until 1912, the Olympic medal was made of the Olympic gold medal was made of solid gold. Oh wow! And um, you know, we're talking about what would now be twenty or thirty thousand dollars worth of gold. After 1912, they started to the medals made of silver and plated with gold. But it still is, um, is. Is it in most cases? Do you think the metal is worth more than it is? Is the metal worth more melted down than it is as a collectible? No. the 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 price of the metal in a gold medal is uh, melted down is about five hundred or six hundred dollars. So even if it's uh, an archery medal from Helsinki, people still want that more than five hundred, six hundred dollars. They do. A silver medal is only three hundred and twenty dollars because it doesn't have that precious, precious gold coating. And then a bronze medal is made it's, not even of solid. It's gold, but yeah. coated with bronze for some reason. <laughs> and it's worth $25,000. It's a little lesson about life. The real, the real meaning is on the inside. No, a bronze medal is only worth $3.50. Really? In melted down metal. $3.50? $3.50. I got 20 bucks on me now. Would you give me six bronze medals? <laughs> well, but bronze medals on the aftermarket. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to gauge like what an Olympic medal is worth because, of course, who won the medal, when and mm-hmm. where, that all really factors into how much a medal is worth. Let's think about what supply is like. There have been how many Olympic Games now? Olympic every, every, two, every right? two years since 1930. I th- the, the first Winter Games was about 1932. Yeah, but was it? It was. It wasn't always on a two-year rotation. No, it, was, it was. It every wasn't four all two years. years. But it averages out to every two years for about eighty years. There so are a lot 40, fewer. Uh, there's about uh, winter Olympics. medals than there are summer medals. That's true. And back in the day, there were fewer events. But today, hundreds of medals are given out per Olympics. There are. There's a few thousand medals out there, right? Yes. Just, just back of the envelope math. There are, and you know, most of them are family heirlooms you know they're not they don't arrive on the aftermarket that often it's got to be a grandson's drug habit yeah that's right or or you know in a lot of cases uh you'll see a medal when an olympian um decides to uh, sort of later on in their career start a charity and maybe partly that charity is themselves but you know medals do come for sale there was actually uh, in the early days of the opening of the iron curtain there was a spate of uh former communist athletes does that mean the government didn't keep those medals they they actually let the athletes keep them uh well but athletes would sell their medals because their value even you know even immediately after the olympics was relative to their their um their impoverishment mm-hmm. um was you know considerably more the a, a a cyclist by the name of Zulfia Zabarova in 1996 kind of famously won a uh, a gold uh, won a gold medal in cycling and an hour later as a part of uh, as a part of a team right she won uh-huh. her uh, her leg and actually an hour later <gasps> on her way to the airport sold it to someone like and, on eBay and got on the, not even I guess on not eBay, in 96, probably somebody standing on the side of the side of the stadium. That's how you get the best price. Uh-huh. In my opinion, you got to strike while the iron's hot. People are still buzzing about that big cycling win. <laughs> you want to act now. But in 1996, you know, it was a, uh, it was, the money was worth a lot more than the metal. That's Atlanta. Imagine what part of Atlanta she is in. <laughs> selling a, a gold Olympic medal. Did you mention the Nobel Prize? Uh, so Nobel Prizes are actually made of solid gold. And until 1980... Well, it's also a healthy cash award. It's a lot of money. Uh, until 1980, they were made of 23 karat gold. Mm. And they are heavy-duty prizes. They're 175 grams. After 1980, they've been making them ever since out of 18 karat gold. So basically, like a little chintzy, you know, yeah, a little bit of a, a sort of wedding ring. Well, gold. The, the king of Sweden can't can't afford twenty three karat gold anymore. No, well, that's sort of what I'm wondering. But I mean, how much are you really saving? Well, I mean, that's a case where the person who has won the Nobel Prize is already uh, 
you know, successful in some career. Obviously, not every lab chemist is a millionaire just because they're at the top of their field. I'm sure that's money that comes in handy. Right. But it's not like an Olympian, and, and they got a, and they have the cash award. It's not like an Olympian who is very young and has probably just achieved their greatest accomplishment on the world stage and then maybe has not really thought about what their post-archery uh, career looks like. Right, and with with Olympians, and this has been increasingly true in the modern era, um, Olympians are all often uh, offered very lucrative sponsorship deals after they win their medals. I I have a friend um, who won uh, some Olympic medals. Oh, wow! When I was a kid growing up at Mount Alieska in Alaska. I was on the same ski team as Tommy Moe. Mm-hmm. He was a couple of years younger than I was. He was an exceptional skier. Actually, I guess he was just not even a year younger than me. I always thought of him as a lot younger, but he's looking at the... Oh, no, no, that's right. He was a, He's a year younger than I was. He was a much better skier than I was, even when I was 10 and he was 9. Uh, but he went on to win at the 1994... Winter Olympics in Lillehammer, he was the first American male skier to win two medals in an Olympics, a gold in the downhill and a silver at the Super G. And Tommy came back to Anchorage, you know, he's only 20 years old at this point, or 22, um, came back to Anchorage and ever since uh, has sort of made a living as an Olympic an medal ex, winner. An ex-Olympic medalist. Yeah, you know, he, you, you, you never have to buy dinner again. He's since he's moved to Jackson Hole and lives there as kind of a ski pro. Well, that's the thing. Skiing is a sport that does come with a possible post career attached. That well, yeah, somewhat, right? I mean, it's already a, a, a sport that's got a lot of money that that attends it, and a, and a resort would hire hire you to just kind of ski coach and hang right. out. And I mean, compared to being on the Hungarian handball team. or water polo team <laughs> yeah, or something, right? right? And I, and in America, there are a lot of. I mean, I think you, you'll see advertisements for Chevy trucks that feature a couple of Olympians sort of leaning on the hood. But there are glamorous sports and less glamorous ones, mm-hmm. as you say, the shot put. Uh, and and also, it matters a lot if you are photogenic. Um, sure, that you're going to get endorsement deals. And which sport it is? Yeah, you picture you picture your you picture an Olympian, and it's going to be. A gymnast or, you know, somebody very TV ready in one of the big sports who's a big hero, uh, 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 you know, Michael Phelps type. Right. But for every one of those, there's hundreds of people who also excelled in their sports but that are kind like, of labored in obscurity. Right. Ski jores or archers. <laughs> rhythmic gymnastics. Uh, and they had their moment of glory, but it was... It was basically an exciting school trip, and then real life came back. Model and, United Nations is over, ski jor. And you can see, I mean, for sure, there are gold medals that you can imagine are worth um, exponentially more than a than a standard one. The the going rate seems to be thirty thousand bucks. Wow, thirty to forty thousand bucks for, for any a gold, gold medal. medal. Just a you know a general gold medal because a lot of gold medals are not. Uh, uh, nothing is engraved upon them. It's very difficult. Oh, you don't even get your name? Uh, some some gold medals are engraved with the winner's name. Some are not. Uh, Jesse Owens's four gold medals, for instance, there's no engraving in them to indicate which medal represented which victory. They just, he went by a table and they were like, Here, here's, here's four of them. Somebody shoves four medals at him. Uh, you know, the gold medal that Nadia Comaneci won in the... 76 Olympics, which was the first perfect 10, mm-hmm. you can imagine that that medal is worth a, you know, a tremendous amount more money than $30,000. I was thinking Jesse Owens's medals might be at the top of the, like theoretically, I haven't, you know, there's no market for all of these, but at what medal would you pay the most for? If it's a team sport, there's more medals. So that kind of clouds it, you know, even if it's, uh, you know, the Miracle on Ice US hockey team or whatever, there's going to be I don't know how many people on that roster. There's going to be 25 medals. Uh, maybe a big time 
primetime gymnastics win. It also depends on which country it is. You know, America's going to have maybe a lot more gold medal buyers. On the other hand, maybe a small country where that was their one chance at fame. Well, hard to think of something that would beat. Hard to think of something that would beat Jesse Owens's golds. Maybe Nancy Kerrigan's silver. We have uh, <laughs> we have uh, some data on this. Huh. Uh, there is a very small group of Olympic medal collectors. You know, yeah, I think the people within the numismatic world and collectors world kind of have an eye on one another. These are expensive enough medals to own that it's less likely that. Uh, I, I, you know, a bronze medal uh, sort of typically is in the $15,000 range. And, you know, that's, uh, it's not a thing that you buy to uh, just as a, as a tourist. Right. But, but certainly gold medals, if you're paying forty fifty thousand $50,000 for a Olympic medal, you're in a small group of people that are trying to put together a collection each year of the Olympics. The medal has a different design. Oh, is it, so it's like people trying to get every year of the quarter. I mean, or whatever? There, there, I'm sure there are people who are, who aspire to that. Cause if you're paying 15,000 for a bronze medal, you'd think it would have some sentimental or patriotic value. You'd think you, right. I don't just want, maybe it is somebody who's like, I just want a Montreal bronze. They're beautiful. But it seems more likely that if you're paying that much, it's like, this is one great Lithuanian javelin thrower, uh, uh, Sarunas Javelinitis, <laughs> uh, you know, you have some connection to who the winner is. Uh, but some of the medals that you mentioned actually have come for sale. What? Uh, Mark Wells, who played on the 1980 hockey team, suffered from a congenital spinal uh, disease and over, uh, the, over time started to degenerate and needed money for his medical bills. And so in 2010, he put his 1980 hockey medal for sale, and it fetched $310,000 <gasps> on the wow. open market. Was there any kind of shame, shame, not, not only shame on you for doing this, but shame on the establishment that let this happen? Is there any thought that it demeans the uh, achievement if people are, can, can or have to sell these Tokens of victory? So he was not the first person to put his medal for sale. And there is a lot of feeling that it's, you know, that it's deeply unfortunate that someone like Mark Wells would have to sell his medal. And it was an emotional uh, experience for him. The, uh, he told the story that, you know, in the months leading up to the sale of his medal, he slept with it every night just Aww. to kind of, you know, have it be with him as long as he could. I want to buy it and give it back to him. I guess I missed my chance. Well, so that, that in fact has happened a few times as we'll get to in a second. Um, and Jesse Owens's medals have reappeared and one of them sold as recently as 2013. Uh, Jesse Owens's medals took a very convoluted path away from Jesse over the years. I can't, I don't think I know a single thing that happened to him after he uh, beat Hitler at the high hurdles. So, you know, our, the, our, our legendary story about Jesse Owens is that he, uh, he won the Olympics. Hitler got up and stormed out of the stadium. Just so future links know, he's a bad guy. We're not rooting for him here. Hitler was bad. Um, but in the, in the aftermath of the Olympics, Jesse Owens reported returning to America and um, and he said that the story of Hitler snubbing him was false, that Hitler actually met him, congratulated him, shook his hand. Yeah, I've seen that. Jesse Owens like really stuck up for Hitler. And he said FDR did snub him. Jesse mm. was never invited to the White House. The president made no acknowledgement of his victory. When he returned to New York, there was a, a, a victory dinner at the Waldorf Astoria, and Jesse Owens was made to ride the freight elevator because African-Americans couldn't enter through the front door. What do we think about the FDR snub that he thought it would be a lightning bolt for lightning rod for controversy to recognize a black athlete? Well, Jesse Owens was a lifelong Republican and he reported that uh, Democrats, which during that period still were, um, you know, relied very heavily on a kind of racist Southern, uh, Democratic Party 
base that the Democrats sort of universally snubbed him and only later reached out to him during the civil rights movement to be a sort of, uh, you know, to be sort of lauded by the Democrats. And he, he shunned them. What do you think the black vote looked like in the, in the depression era? Uh, Largely democratic, right? By that time, it wasn't the black vote. It was the white democratic vote. That was, I'm just saying, I'm just saying how unusual would it have been for Jesse Owens to be like, no, my family's always been Republican. Oh, I think there were a lot of black Republicans during that period Uh, because, you know, during reconstruction, um, the the Republican Party was sure a lot more supportive. But over of but over fifty rights. years have now passed, and now in the Depression, now you've got the party of you know greater intervention for the worker, right? Like I want I I, I, yeah. I assume it started to shift at least around then. I think there is a lot, and I think Jesse Owens uh, came from a Republican family, so he was he was certainly laboring under the my daddy drove a Buick kind of, uh, kind of loyalty to the brand. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this, but his dad is Buck Owens from Hee Haw. <laughs> no, there is a funny story after the, well, it's not funny. It's, there's a lot of tragedy in this story, but after the, uh, after the Olympics, Jesse Owens came back to a very segregated United States and found no opportunities for, um, for, economic advancement. He he sought sponsorships and the Olympic committee um like revoked his amateur status and sort of kicked him kicked him off the the sports circuit and he ended up traveling the country racing punters for five bucks at the state fair and so forth. Like you could oh, race with Jesse Owens. You could race Jesse Owens and he would give you um, a handicap. You could start 10 seconds before <laughs> him. Or Do you pay more for a bigger handicap? Start 20 feet out. And then eventually he was racing horses. He would uh, do these exhibitions where he would line up with a racehorse and they would have a, a sprint he said that the system was he kind of gamed it because he would he would race horses that were you know high spirited thoroughbreds and they would start with a pistol shot and the <laughs> pistol shot would spook the horse and it would give him enough of an advantage but there was you know talk about the shame of a um, of selling your gold medal there was even it, even then a lot of uh consternation that this American hero, four-time gold medal winner, Jesse Owens, was, quote-unquote, reduced to racing horses at state fairs. But Jesse Owens... um, Jesse Owens did not regard it as... uh, To him, that was... Shameful. That was show business. Right. He said that, you know, he he had four gold medals, but he couldn't eat gold medals. Owens was an alumni of Ohio State. He had a lot of... um, there were a lot of people that that were trying to look out for him. His uh, he had a friend that got him a job as a band leader, a jazz leader of a jazz orchestra. That seems problematic. He uh, well, you know. It, it, <laughs> so was, you're, let me get this straight: you're black, right? Uh, okay. Was, no, it was a black friend. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, but even so, I don't know if I trust Jesse Owens' band leading abilities. Right, but it was a time when you know he would he there's put butts in the of, seats. Right, there's not a lot of uh, yeah. There's probably not a lot of uh, job descriptions, even in show business, that would be open to an African American performer. Well, and he was a, he was uh, also a great athlete. Although he worked at Ford Motor Company a little bit during the war, um, he ended up was he outrunning Model Ts or what? Was <laughs> he just it was just a sort of like let's give Jesse Owens a job kind of thing. But, but he, was, he wasn't like a spokesperson. He was on the line. No, he not on the line. He was like a uh, he worked in in the head office, mm-hmm. right? He was a personnel director or something. Um, but during the immediate aftermath of the war, he got involved in the Negro Baseball League. He was a part owner of the Portland Rosebuds, which was a Negro baseball team in Portland, in Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, I didn't know Oregon. Had um, a, did Seattle have a Negro League team? don't know I, I don't think it did Portland no Rose and you know this was game. this was right after world war ii and then when all the white players came back from uh from the war that baseball league was disbanded right. and so it was it only lasted a few months it was the seattle steelheads 
<laughs> played at Sixth Stadium where uh, where the pilots used to play. Right now, the Home Depot on uh, or the Lowe's on what Rainier. But he he would he was an owner of the team, but he would still kind of go out at uh, uh, between double headers and race horses on the field <laughs> just as a way. I feel of like, like all sports owners should have to do that <laughs> even today. <laughs> By the way, my intu- I looked this up. My intuition was not wrong about black voters during the Depression. FDR's election in 32 was the first time, like uh, the largely Republican black uh, voting, voting block. block voted for Roosevelt 71%. Oh, so, so for the first time it switched. Yeah. So it, I guess it was the Depression that did it. And this would have been right then, yeah. right? 36. Yeah. So, but it wouldn't, again, it wouldn't have been weird. For a prominent African American to be Republican, it doesn't make him Herman Cain that no. he that he voted for uh, uh, Al Smith or whatever. And in fact, at that point, it probably would have been a more mainstream position, leading right up to that election. So, what do you think about this new work from home world? I you mean, know, I'm one thousand percent in favor of it. You and I, as freelancers, generally work from home, but it sounds like a lot of so called office jobs are just going to be done with people with no pants on. I think they should from now on. I think that the more people that work from home, the less traffic there is, the less pollution there is, the less just like wasted effort there is. Stuffing people into expensive urban centers when they could do their job from Aberdeen, South Dakota. Well, and a lot of people, you know, counter to the kind of surveillance state mentality of a lot of corporations, there are a lot of people that get more work done at home, more work done when they're not kind of forced into the cookie cutter box of, of a, a corporate life. I am one of those people, but there are complications if you're trying to manage a bunch of people working right. in a bunch of different states. Meetings with people, which are a big part of how things get done, collaborating with people. That's all got to be a lot harder. But there's a solution. Joe. Tell me what more. I want to tell you about Miro. Miro, spelled M-I-R-O. M-I-R-O. It's essentially, it's an online whiteboard. You know, it's a kind of a virtual whiteboard. Right. That you and your team can, I'm imagining some world where you have a job. Me and a team, yeah. Well, assemble your team, your Mission Impossible team, John. I just tried to do this with the Rasmussen Foundation, and we, you know, we ended up having, we ended up using Zoom, which is increasingly a very troubling program, and we got it done, but it would have been a lot better if we had a... A, a system that was tailored to it. So Miro is just a, it's a blank canvas. It's an infinite canvas where you can brainstorm, mock up, plan anything you want, you know, add all your documents, add all your spreadsheets, integrate it with, with whatever you're already using, Google drive, Dropbox, Slack. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it comes with video chat. Um, everything's right there. So it's like a, it's like being in a, in a meeting room with a, with a big table and a whiteboard. Yes. What if your office was just pixels? Oh, that's the dream. That's the dream. I wish my office was pixels. Oh. I, I am increasingly becoming pixels even now. Over 5 million users worldwide trust Miro to help their teams work more efficiently. I honestly believe that this is the future. I honestly believe that it's better for everybody. It's better for the soul. It's better for, I mean, and, I, and I'm saying if you're an extrovert and you want to go to the office and... And have birthday parties and lean, lean, lean over somebody's cubicle and yeah. ask what they did over the weekend. If you want to yell at people about their TPS reports, like there's still going to be offices. You can still go. But for those of us that work better at home, there needs to be this kind of system. If this Miro. is If this is now your work environment, start collaborating for free by signing up for an account at Miro.com slash Omnibus. There you go. That's, so it's M-I-R-O dot com Slash Omnibus for a free account. With unlimited team members. See, this is it. Miro.com slash Omnibus. After the Olympics, Jesse did not put a ton of value on his Olympic medals. And, in fact, gave one as a gift to his friend Bill Bojangles Robinson. <gasps> really? Who danced with uh, Shirley, Shirley Temple, Temple in all those, those black and white movies of the time. Um, and just sort of gave it as thanks because, uh, because Bill Robinson found work for him and, and, uh, helped him out. Bill, uh, Robinson, this is something I did not know. Also was a athlete and for decades 
held the world record for the for running the hundred yard dash backward. <laughs> he, was, was it because he was the only one who had ever tried it? He ran the the hundred yard dash backwards in thirteen point five seconds, and uh, and that record held for many many years. That seems good. Uh, pretty pretty fast, 13 right? Thirteen seconds. I'm wondering what your form looks like. I mean, big big steps and it's just a matter of balance. If you think about how fast you or I could run 100 yards backwards. I think I'm going to be like at twice Bojangles' time. Yeah, I might I might say you and I both were would be working hard to get it in. What about okay, how about a horse? Seconds. How about a horse running the 100 meters backwards? Oh boy, I think a horse would have a hard time running 100 meters backwards. He can he can turn his head, he can see where he's going. Yeah, but have you ever tried to get a horse to walk backwards? All the time. But then, um, and this is the sort of somewhat tragic part, uh, some years later, Jesse Owens had been living in a hotel in Pittsburgh owned by a man named Harry Bailey and ran up quite a, a, uh, quite a bill at the hotel and paid off his hotel bill by giving Harry Bailey the three remaining no. Olympic gold medals and his participation medal no. in the 36 Olympics to he, pay off the bill. Two questions. First of all, there's a participation medal. There is. There is. And there's a, there's a secondary market for Olympic participation Even medals. Even though there's hundreds of thousands of them. And there are a lot. They're, they're, they're quite a bit... Um, Quite a bit cheaper. Second question. He's a character in a fairy tale. Yeah. He stops at the inn. He's like some, he's the doofusy boy in a fairy tale who's like, the innkeeper's like, well, I'll take all three of your gold pieces. And he's like, well, sure. I guess he, uh, he doesn't seem to attach to them in these stories. No, they don't have, I mean, there isn't a secondary market at the time. And if you think about their, uh, their meltdown value, yeah, in I guess if that's what the forties, it wouldn't have been much to live on. Um, they really were, in some ways, probably represented to him uh, a little bit of a somewhat of a complicated feeling, given that he had won these medals. He was universally a champion, and yet was living in a flophouse hotel and had to use them to pay off his bills. In a, in a segregated America. Yeah, not a thing that he probably uh, held up every day and and uh, felt an, an unmitigated pride. And were they melted down then? Did, what did Harry Bailey do? Well, so Harry Bailey, you, one gets the sense that this hotel in Philadelphia was not, or I'm sorry, one gets the sense that this hotel in Pittsburgh was not... Uh, the finest hotel because Harry Bailey ended up pawning the medals to a pawn shop. And then while, uh, with the medals in pawn, he had hired a handyman by the name of Louis DeVito to do work around the hotel and in partial payment for the work he did, he gave him the pawn ticket for the gold medals no. and Louis DeVito being a man that worked for a living got the medals out of pawn and then the DeVito family owned three Jesse Owens medals and his medal of participation uh, and the family kept them for decades not realizing that they had that much Value. They just thought it was a funny story. People back then still must have known. Like, they're in newsreels. They must have known this was one of the most famous uh, men of his time. How do you not understand that this is not a funny heirloom? Well, that's the, that's the thing. No one had ever sold one. And so... I guess it's good. It kept them from reselling them to someone who eventually would have melted it down, right? At least they stayed on a shelf by the TV. Uh, well, right. And uh, what's crazy about this story is that these, these minor characters, Harry Bailey and Louis DeVito are playing a, a major role in the history of what is, as you say, the most famous of all gold medals. Um, Louis DeVito and Harry Bailey remained friends. And after getting them out of pawn, he gave one back to Bailey as a, just like here you go, you know. Like I don't, I didn't want to get all of these. That medal is lost. 
Because Harry didn't take good care of it. Because Harry, I guess, maybe... He probably gave it to his brother George, the richest man in town. Right, sold him, sold it a second time, pawned it somewhere, and, and who knows where. It's, a, it's like a coaster under a drink on somebody's <laughs> coffee table right now. Uh, Wait, how big are they? Isn't that gold medal like... Uh... Is it the shot in diameter of a shot glass? No, it's it's bigger around uh, than that. I mean, and they do vary from from uh, from, but it's bigger than the bottom of a coaster. Sometimes can. are the big. Oh, really? They're yeah. like this. They they're about the size of a coaster. Then maybe. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit smaller than your biggest coaster. Huh. Um, Jesse Owens, at a certain point along the way, became uh, he he was his many sort of failed attempts to become a prosperous. Uh, entrepreneur by the mid 60s the civil rights movement had changed the tenor in the United States and Jesse Owens now was regarded as a uh, regarded rightfully so as you know one of America's mm. foremost historical figures and a kind athlete. of a, and a pioneer African right. American pioneer and so the Olympic Committee started using him as a goodwill ambassador he started to uh, to do a be- event, started to benefit from some of the financial re- remuneration that you that uh, sponsorships and whatnot. Star Trek conventions, and he actually petitioned to have his gold medals replaced because he claimed that he lost them along the way, and they did uh, they did make replacement medals for him. And those medals are on display at Ohio State in the Jesse Owens Museum. But these are replicas. For many years, I think they were, it was assumed that his medals were lost. Was he cagey about like how he had lost them? Or did he really say, yeah, I, did he admit that he had been complicit in the losing? My sense is that he did not uh, confess having given them uh, to pay a hotel bill. And, um, yeah. and so the medals were replaced and I think Ohio state probably had them, uh, without shame, imagining that the others were lost to time. But in 2013, the medal that he gave bill Bojangles Robinson appeared at auction and sold for one and a half million dollars. <sighs> Wow. So five, uh, five miracle on ices. That's right. Well, yeah, right. Five, five miracles on ice. Sorry, as we say. of course. Um, and that made the, uh, the DeVito family, of course, sit up and take, take notice. What? And honestly, I think the DeVitos did not know that the next generation of DeVitos did not really know what they had until the this early is, 90s. This is some Antiques Roadshow thing. Yeah. When Granddad was like, oh, take a look over here in this box. I've got some Jesse Owens hey, memorabilia. Is Jesse Owens' Olympic gold medal worth anything? But when they saw this, this medal sell for $1.5 million, none of them have any markings. It's impossible to know which one was one for the 100-meter dash, right. which was the 200-meter dash, what was the long jump. And I mean, I think you could probably put a different price on each of those if you wanted to. But um but the but the the metal that the Devitos sold uh, only reaped $615,000. And I think part of that is probably that the that the Bojangles medal was the first of Jesse Owens's medals to come uh for sale and at the time was the only the, right. At the, the time, it was assumed yeah, this the, is the only one. We didn't know that the DeVito ones existed. And his, his has a better pedigree. It's been owned by like another like legendary uh, you know, black history figure right. for the 20th century. But there have, been a, there have been a whole spate of Olympic medal sales. There are a lot of Olympians who think of the medal as... Uh, Somewhat like our friend Jack Crawford from our episode earlier this week, a lot of uh, young Olympians feel like the medal itself does not have any meaning. They know that they are sports champions and they hope to translate that medal into some kind of, uh, in some cases, selfless benefit to other people. 
Um, if you like, like selling them to benefit a charity or yeah. Uh, Vladimir Klitschko of Ukraine, uh, won a, a, a boxing medal in 96 yeah. and sold it for a million dollars to benefit kids spokes, uh, kids sports programs in Ukraine. It was purchased by an anonymous bidder and then the medal was returned to him. This is just a tax dodge of some kind. Well, because <laughs> Klitschko is a is a professional heavyweight boxer. He's, right. He's doing better than your your average, uh, uh, what Olympic. He's not someone that's uh, that speed skater th- that won it as as a bicyclist and then sold it on the way to the airport. Um, but that story, the anonymous buyer and the metal being returned, yeah actually factors back in to our Nobel Prize story. In 2013, no less than the Nobel Prize awarded to Francis Crick Mm. for his co-discovery of and sequencing of DNA. And he's the... uh... He's the bad eugenicist one. We got. Right. I think we got this wrong in a past entry and said that Watson. It was Watson, was but bad it was Crick. Watson's the good American. Crick is the is the evil British one. His medal went for sale, and uh, his Nobel Prize, and sold for two and a third million dollars. What? Just because there's so few on the market, I guess. No one sells their Nobel Prize. And how many are, I mean, how many are awarded a year? You've got just six or what, seven. Six. Yeah. And then the, the Peace Prize is awarded from Norway. Mm-hmm. And then the prize in economics isn't a real Nobel Prize anyway. <laughs> as, as you often say. <laughs> Although, interestingly, this is something I didn't know. The Nobel Prizes are 175 grams, but the Nobel Prize in economics is 185 grams. It's a little bit better. It's a little bigger and better, even though it's. It's trying to make up for the fact that it's faker. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because they know e- e- economists will be the ones who will be like, uh, "Is this a little? Is this a little bigger right. than the physicist?" Right. That's what they want. They right. care more. Yeah. Um, but then a few years later, the Nobel Prize awarded to James Watson came for sale, and this was the first. Uh, so Francis Crick's medal was sold by his family. He died in 2004. Watson started uh, or put his medal f- up for auction, and it was the first time that a Nobel Prize of a living scientist was for sale. I think what happened last time was that we said it was Crick and not Watson. We're making that mistake again. In fact, it's Watson who is the uh, contemporary and vocal sort of racist eugenicist who who has come out with this theory of uh you know a sort of bell curve like theory about uh race and uh yeah race and fitness and intellect and fitness uh crick was a eugenicist but not a public one right it's more polite here's the correction we got is that we accidentally said crick was american and watson was british in fact Watson had the worst views, but he was American and Crick was British. So we were corrected about the nationalities, not about their uh, ideology. I see. So Watson is American? Boy, it's really hard to uh, to keep these two guys straight, even though they're kind of a uh, Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, we'll make a chart. They? Watson, American, bad. Bad, po- bad politics. Crick, British, less bad politics. Less, slightly less bad politics. Well, Watson, wa- Watson, who is still alive, put his Nobel Prize up for auction. And despite being uh, now a scientific pariah, his Nobel Prize sold for $4.7 million, but was purchased by a Russian billionaire by the name of Alisher Usmanov, uh, Alisher Usmanov, is that how you would say that? Like, Usmanov? Usmanov. That's how I'm going to say it. All right. Alisher Usmanov, who is, you know, one of these Russian billionaire oligarchs. Oligarch types. Who bought the medal and returned it to Watson, saying that he was one of the preeminent scientists of, of our time and that it was a shame for him 
to have to sell this metal. Uh, and so he paid this exorbitant price for it and then returned it to Watson, where I presume Watson sits uh, sits on it while he releases these crazy racist screeds. Well, who are these elderly men who suddenly decide they need $4 million? Well, the... I mean, he... His, his public explanation is that he uh, he's going to donate that money or use it uh, use it to support the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory um, in Long Island. The same laboratory that he was suspended from as chancellor after making these uh, these remarks to the effect that blacks were not as smart as whites. Well, that's nice that he uh, he doesn't hold a grudge. Y- yeah, <laughs> although although you wonder you wonder if he's really if he really planned to donate that or if he did in fact donate that almost five million dollars to the lab or whether he I don't know used it to what buy Bojangles dolls. I mean, what what. <laughs> Yeah, no. what's what's a what's a 90-year-old man going to do with a few million dollars? What are what are his hobbies even? How many hot water bottles can you buy? I'm not sure, although a Nobel Prize like an Olympic gold medal, as Jesse Owens says, you can't eat four gold medals. But also, you can't really be buried with your Nobel Prize. If you die, it's just going to go to your ungrateful grandnephew. And if you have more yeah, if you have more than one kid or grandkid, they're going to be fighting over who gets the Metal. I I'm surprised more haven't sold. Maybe die and and give it you know give it to the lab rather than. Do you think I should put my Jeopardy trophy up on eBay and hope that somebody some oligarch will do the buy it off me and then give it back? Like it's a risk. Well, let me ask you this. Let's say Ken Jennings, you live fifty more years. That'd be nice. Even it, let let's assume that no genetic uh, like manipulation has happened. I just lived to an honest 95. 95 years old. You die. Now, Caitlin and uh, and Dylan are at that point going to be in their 60s. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with that dusty old goat trophy that's sitting next to the Lego Millennium Falcon in your sarcophagus? That's Solomonic. You give one of them the... You give one of them the Jeopardy trophy and you give the other one the Lego Millennium Falcon. So which kid gets what? Maybe there's like a snake draft for my possessions, like whoever. But do they? Do you think one will prefer one thing to the other? I honestly Neither don't. Neither kid think... seems that interested in that trophy, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, that's right now. Imagine how much less they will be in their sixties when you don't care about anything, right? Much less grandpa's old stuff. People in their sixties famously not caring about anything. They really don't. They're fine. I wonder, you know, the, I have kind of a little bit of the opposite problem. My daughter is the only child of a, this entire side of the family. And so when all the grandparents die, when her parents die, when her aunts and uncles die, all of everything goes to her. And What a I, racket. Well, I know. Not, well, well, how dare she? Where, <laughs> where does she get off? What has she ever done? <laughs> she should donate it to Cold Spring Laboratory. And that concludes Jesse Owens, comma, gold medals of entry 887.LV2525, certificate number 2504, in the omnibus. Listeners, if you enjoyed anything of what you just heard, please uh, do not take to social media with your responses. Do not go to at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, or at Omnibus Project. Definitely don't send us email at omnibusproject at gmail.com. It'll just go to our heads. Mm. Don't uh, send us your own uh, Olympic and or Nobel prizes. What? To no, Box, absolutely do. To P.O. Box 55744, Charlotte, Washington, 98155. If you have a Nobel Prize and you want it to be carefully tended and cared for, dusted on the weekly, send it to us for sure. Unless it's economics. And then John will just flush, flush it on well, the Well, no, that's actually, it's worth a lot more probably because it's heavier. Uh, you should uh, definitely not uh, commiserate with your fellow futurelings on Reddit or Discord or Facebook about your favorite moments and jokes. You're trying to chase episode. everyone away from all of our social media accounts. It's, uh, they shouldn't be on social media. You're right. You're I'm going to help them. You're absolutely right. Don't donate to our Patreon, whatever you do. Well... <laughs> 
This is very hard. This one's very hard for you. <laughs> I mean, I get the theme. I get it. If you want to contribute, you enjoyed everything you just heard. You're thinking, how can how can I contribute? You can, in fact, go to patreon.com slash omnibus project, become a supporter of the show, and enjoy all the amazing benefits that come therewith. Uh, you I did everything then. Yeah. The I PO think so. box, I covered it all. I think you did. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, where Ken is Let's just say he's probably experienced the peak of his glory, but I'm still pre-glory peak. You're waiting on that on that medal or plaque at your birthplace. That's right. Who knows who knows the gold medals that I will accrue in the second half of my life? You're going to cure coronavirus. Uh, potentially, I could ban. I could shame it out of existence with my with my social media shame finger. You're going to cancel. I'm going to cancel, cancel coronavirus. COVID. Hashtag no thanks. Uh, we have no idea how long our civilization survived, or how much those medals granted to me are worth in your time. Probably much less if they've lost all the cultural uh, baggage that come with it. Well, but we again, we don't know if we've been elevated to godhead status, and futurelings that have discovered this oh, right. are reading it like a kind of apocrypha, where they're like, "We can't, we can't uh, ex- expose this this uh, Mary Magdalene gospel. It's going to throw the whole thing up in arms. We I, can't let people know that Ken is a real person." I was thinking about how the future probably will not care about Nobel prizes or Olympic uh, medals. Because they won't have any associations with, you know, I'm sure the Miracle on Ice fetches more at auction now than, um, than some, you know, the tug of war medalist in 1908. This is a big question uh, in the vintage guitar market. Ah, Like Eric Clapton's black Stratocaster is worth a lot of money right now because the old boomers that love Eric Clapton and have millions of dollars think that it's going to be worth that forever. But... If you imagine, um, if you imagine Father Coughlin's podium and what it would have fetched in 1945 versus what it would fetch now, probably a lot. Yeah, after less relative, the market really dropped in 1945 when World War II ended. <laughs> anyway, um, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come and that Eric Clapton's Black Stratocaster just increases in value throughout the millennia. Exponentially. And that Jesse Owens' gold medals, that the remaining two are found and that they are, uh, they, they become the, um, the kind of, uh, what, what was the name of the, of the satellite that returned in Star Trek One, V'ger. It was V'ger, right? Air, Air Clapton's S Caster <laughs> is going to come back. But the, the Jesse Owens's gold medals are the V'ger of uh, our future time. Who is Jay Wens? Uh, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.